0: But this morning, I want to approach the topic, Saints, Not Sinners. Now, when you think of the word saint, what are the first pictures that come to your mind? If you do a Google search and type in saints, it is littered with the New Orleans Saints from the National Football League, okay? I mean, after all, isn't Google the truth? Maybe because of your upbringing, your picture of saints is more like this. And if you do a Google search of church saints, these are the pictures you will often see. And according to the Catholic Church, there are over 10,000 saints. Interestingly enough, the Greek Orthodox Church only has 64 saints. But just maybe, as I've asked you to think about the word saint, this is the picture that comes to your mind. (laughs) Well, actually, what we should probably have put up there are pictures of our spouses. Now, having been in church ministry for over 36 years... I know the men and the women and the young people who have worked with children and youth are often considered saints for what they do. But in fact, the best picture, the best, the truly biblical picture of what saints are is each and every one of you sitting in the pew. So take a moment and look around at the saints of God that have gathered here this morning so as you're able saints will you rise with me to hear the word of God from Colossians chapter 1 verses 1 through 14 this morning Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid upon you for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed the whole world, its bearing its fruit and increasing, as it is also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. May God's word bless all hearts in our lives this day in Jesus' name. You may be seated. I recently read a story about a pastor who was asked by a man in the community to do his brother's funeral. Now, neither of the men had been churchgoers or showed any religious inclinations at all. And the man offered to give $25,000 to the church if the preacher would call his brother a saint at the funeral. Now, the brother had been a real sinner in the community, and everybody knew it. And a friend of the pastor asked, are you not, you are not going to do it, are you? And the pastor said that he was going to do it because the church needed the money. Well, word got out that the preacher had sold out to the family for money. And the church was filled for the funeral that morning. The pastor stood up and this is what he said. The man we are burying here today was a liar, a cheat, and a drunk. However, next to his brother who is sitting here today also, he was a saint. (laughs) Now, depending upon the translation you read, the word saint or saints appear over 50 times in the New Testament, excluding the Gospels. It's a term that Paul frequently and regularly uses to describe the followers of Jesus in the early church. Paul begins his letter to the Romans with these words, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, in Paul's opening statement in his letters to the Corinthian church, the Ephesian church, the Philippian church, and the Colossian church, he refers to the entire body of believers in those regions as saints. And I believe if Paul were writing a letter today to the believers that are gathered here in this sanctuary at North Olmsted Evangelical Friends Church, He would most likely begin his letter in a similar way and refer to us as saints. In fact, as I was thinking about this this week, I think I've stumbled upon the key that can unlock the health and strength of every marriage in every family. I don't know about you, but I believe I've married a saint. But well, what would it, the Christian family look like if husbands and wives who have a relationship with Jesus began and ended each day by affirming in the other that, you know what, you're a saint, dear? Think about that. What if children and teenagers recognize on a daily basis that because of their, faith in Je- their parents' faith in Jesus Christ, that their parents are saints? What if parents whose children have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, even in the midst of all that they do or don't do, affirm the truth in them that, you know what, Johnny, Sarah, you're a saint? Being a saint doesn't mean maturity. It doesn't mean exceptional work. It means who we are in Jesus Christ. Understanding our identity as saints, not sinners, is fundamentally and foundationally important for two reasons. Reason number one, it affirms and declares the complete work of Christ in his death, resurrection, and ascension. In the last two verses of our scripture passage this morning, we read these words. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is our basis for our identity as saints. It's not what we have done or not done, but it's what Christ has done for us. Paul told the Corinthians that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. It's interesting, I was reading a study recently that was taken back in 2020 and the reality. A part of that study declared that a majority of Americans who describe themselves as Christians, 52% also accept the reality that uh, God's acceptance is based on our work matter of fact only out of 65 percent of American adults who describe themselves as Christians, only just a little over a half believe they will experience heaven after they die. And only one-third of the adults, 33 percent, believe that they will go to heaven because of confessing their sins and embracing Jesus as savior. Another one in five expecting to experience heaven are counting to earn their way or because they embrace some kind of universalism that all people go to heaven. That's the Christian thought in America. We need to define our lives, not as sinners. Because if we define our lives as sinners, then we deny The work of Jesus to seek and save the lost. The very definition of salvation is that we've been saved from sin and death. Reason number two. It lays the foundation for how we demonstrate God's Christ's kingdom presence in the world. Paul told the Galatian church, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Twice in our passage this morning, Colossians, in Colossians, Paul uses the term bearing fruit regarding the life of saints. In verse 10, as so to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. And increasing in the knowledge of God our bearing fruit our good fruit our abundant fruit in every good work flows from our identity as saints and so to live as sinners and not saints denies these foundational truths of Christ's calling and does truly impact our witness in the world and in the culture truth be told this doesn't mean we cannot and don't struggle with sin Paul still at one point called himself the chief among sinners but he talks about his struggle there not his identity we are indeed saints who still sin but we are also being transformed by the Holy Spirit into the perfection of Christ that is ultimately fulfilled in our eternal glory so let's take a moment and dig a little bit deeper into this word saint the word saint comes from the greek word hagios you may be familiar with that word it's often translated holy the amplified version next to the word saint will put in parentheses or brackets the word holy people Biblically speaking, it means to be set apart. But if we are to understand this word in the context of both the Old and New Testament, the word is best translated dedicated. Throughout the Old Testament, we see people and things become dedicated or set apart by God for God. It could be a lamp, a table, it could be bread, any kind of an offering. It was even the priests and the children of Israel themselves. In each of these cases, they were set apart from from their ordinary purpose for a special purpose. As saints and Christians, we are called to live in the world, but not of the world. As saints and Christians, our purpose is to be the love and the presence of Jesus in a broken world. We have a special purpose. It's God's purpose. Now, I know all illustrations are not perfect. But let me offer you two to help us think about what this word "hagios" means in terms of being holy or dedicated and set apart. And I will confess to you this morning that I found these illustrations on a Jewish studies website. Now, how many of you Have a toothbrush? Okay. Glad to hear that all of your hands are up. Parents, take note of those children that do not raise their hands. Now, some of you might have a battery-operated one, and I just want to ask you this simple question. What's the purpose of your toothbrush? It is to brush your teeth. Now, how many of you use that That is the dedicated purpose of your toothbrush, correct? Now you don't use that same toothbrush to scrub the mold in your shower, do you? You don't use it on the bathroom floor, do you? You don't use it to scrub the toilet, do you? Or even the plugs in the engine of your car? No. Or maybe some of you use it to do your dog's teeth. Why don't you do it? Because it's set apart. It has a dedicated purpose of brushing your teeth. Now, I don't know about you, but in my house, there are two types of travel mugs. Okay? There is the one that is dedicated to coffee, and there is the one that is dedicated to tea. If you cannot tell, this is mine, this is my wife's. And you know what? They are set apart specifically for those purposes. And boy, do I get in trouble if I ever decide to put my coffee in my wife's tea container. Does anybody else have that problem? By the way, I've learned from experience. Each cup has a dedicated purpose now historically speaking under the influence of the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church we have created this misperception in the church and also in the world that saints are these extraordinary people because they've done great things like Mother Teresa or Saint Nicholas of Christmas fame but let me take a moment and tell you the story of an ordinary man His name is Nicholas Herman. Ordinary man, ordinary name. His life seemed much like our own. Nicholas had a number of jobs in his life, starting out in the military and then in the transportation industry. And after that, he found work in the food service industry, serving as a short order cook and bottle washer. Now eventually, Nicholas became deeply discouraged by his life and he spent a lot of time like us, Thinking about himself, am I saved, was a particular question that burrowed deep into his soul. And so he started to worry until one day everything changed. And on that day, he was looking at a tree, just an ordinary tree, nothing too exciting or thrilling about it, but something occurred to him. What makes a tree flourish? It's not its self-reliance, but its rootedness in something other than and deeper than itself. With that in mind, Nick began an experiment to have a habitual, silent, secret conversation of the soul with God. Today we know Nick as Brother Lawrence, whose book, The Practice of the Presence of God, has become a spiritual classic, speaking to readers for over 300 years and one that I would highly recommend to you. See, what's vitally important to understand is understand is the church is the word hagios is translated saint. It's not simply talking about morality or ethics or behavior. It's not about what one does or doesn't do. It's not about appearance of being some super Christian, whatever that might look like. Instead, it's about holding on to your true identity, James Bryan Smith, a person who I've been introduced to almost 30 years ago. In my early stages of ministry, uh, he's a pastor and now friends professor at a friend's university in Kansas. He's not only a disciple of Jesus, but a disciple of Richard Foster and Dallas Willard. And two months ago, I became reacquainted with him at our regional pastor's conference. And in one of his podcasts, he says these words, who i am determines what i do not what i do determines who i am who i am determines what i do not what i do determines who i am this is the point that paul makes to the colossian church and throughout his letters it's the very reason that he refers to every believer and follower of christ as a saint who you are in christ determines what you do with your relationship with christ and with your relationship with others in the world the world tries to tell us the opposite story and Satan, the author of all lies hopes that christians will buy into the false narrative that what i do determines who i am this is the message that rings so loud and clear in our sports and entertainment industry it's the message that gets shouted through social media and it. Henry Nowen, while he was the professor at Harvard University and while I was a graduate student at Andover Newton Theological School getting my, my master's, I was introduced to him and to the whole topic of spiritual formation. In fact, I was in one of the last classes that he ever taught. Shortly after he left the U, Harvard University because he was losing him, in his words, he was losing himself. Because his academic success was defining his identity. When he left the academic world, God's journey led in his life led him to a group or to a community of those who were mentally handicapped. And it is there where he served and spent the rest of his life now in rights we find ourselves bouncing around three very human lies that we believe about our identity i am what i have i am what i do i am what other people say or think about me if we define ourselves by one of these three lies we inevitably keep trying to earn our identity and ultimately leads to a life of turmoil because we are chasing after the things of the flesh that are fleeting and never satisfying. Instead, let us define our lives by the kingdom values that are permanent, life-giving, eternal. It is essential that we embrace the way that God sees us and the way that God knows us. He knows us as saints, not because we've earned it or deserved it, but because of his great love for us and what he has done for us through Jesus Christ. Our identity as saints is a gift from God. And the church needs to embrace that gift for the sake of the world. Therefore, we are the dedicated people of God. And we are dedicated by God and for God. So what does that practically mean? want us to turn our attention back to the scripture this morning and this time from the Passion Translation beginning in verse 10 we pray that you would walk in the ways of true righteousness pleasing God in every good thing you do then you'll become fruit bearing branches yielding to his life maturing in the rich experience of knowing God in his fullness and we pray that you will be energized with all his explosive power from the realm of his magnificent glory filling you with great hope your hearts can soar with joyful gratitude when you think of how God made you worthy to receive the glorious inheritance freely given to us by living in the light wow let that translation soak in I'm going to pick up on these verses next week, but let me just briefly give you three things to ponder until we gather together again. When we think of Jesus and his saintly life, the first thing we know is he spent time with his Father. The fullness of Jesus' humanity needed to spend time with his Heavenly Father. It is the reason we find him getting away, whether it be in the morning or the evening, or sometime in between. And at one point, Jesus says in his ministry, I only do what I see my father doing. His spending time with his father kept his identity firmly grounded in who he is. And as you know, the people all around him had all kinds of different expectations for him. But listening to his father's voice kept the voices of others out of his life. Christ's identity was rooted in his father's love. Is yours? Second thing, he spent time with his disciples. As imperfect as his disciples were, the community he called together was an essential part of his life. His humanity was rooted in community. And I truly believe that Jesus enjoyed being with those disciples during those three years of his ministry. And he even took greater joy in imparting that love, that grace, and that mercy upon them. We need to be in community with the imperfect others. We need to be in community with our brothers and sisters in Christ, saints, regardless of how imperfect we or they are. As saints, we're called to share life, and more importantly, God's life in us with each other. Do you enjoy community? Thirdly, he invested in the lives that he came to save. While Jesus was never of the world, he was definitely in the world. Jesus did not shy away from the woman at the well or, or the woman caught in adultery. He was not afraid to eat with, in fellowship in the homes of sinners and tax collectors. He was not afraid of the lame, the blind, the sick. Why? Why? Because every human life he looked at, he saw the image of God waiting to embrace the life of a saint dedicated by God and for God. Do you see every human life as made in the image of God? I want to end this story, this message with a story. <clears throat> Recently it happened in Kenya when Muslims were denied water access to the only Christian church in town. A group of frontline workers helped church members to bore a hole and dig a well to access water. And during a severe drought in Kenya, the community, the community bore hole dried up. But the church borehole remained strong. The Muslim community then requested water for their livestock. And the church of saints, rather than turning their oppressors away, they embraced them and provided water for thousands of animals. Through water, the church, which used to be despised, now found acceptance in the community. One of the Muslim leaders told the pastor of the church, we used to call you enemy, but now we call you brother. And we can pray that the church, the presence of Christ in that church will continue to show that Muslim community God's love for them. Let us pray most gracious and heavenly Father. I pray that you would continue to speak to our hearts, lives, in lives. Many of us, Lord, have rooted our identity in what we have or what we do or what others say about us but right now I pray that we will hear your voice that says I am God's child I am Christ's friend I've been justified I'm united with the Lord and I am one in spirit with him I'm a member of Christ's body a saint a holy one I am completed Christ I am free from condemnation forever I am a citizen of heaven I am God's workmanship and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me Father in these quiet moments let us dig our deep roots in your love and what your son has done for us May we trans, for some of us, it means transplanting those roots out of this world and into your presence. Father, we thank you that our identity is founded in you and that you call us saints. Now help us to live our lives dedicated by God, by you, and for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.